This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall. And uh, Pete George's offering San Marino, probably parting with the locals after a very rare goal for the... Um, I don't actually know what the nickname for San Marino is, so I'm just going to say San Marinans because it, sound, it sounds about right. It's their give or take. It's there or thereabout. So he's he's off there enjoying uh, enjoying his life with them. Uh, and I'm very, very delighted to say that I am joined by, I think we can officially call you friend of the pod at this point, Joe, because um, I think this is a hat trick of appearances now. Um, Joe Chapman uh, uh, from Birmingham Live. Joe, lovely to have you on again, mate. Good evening, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on and a rare opportunity to break up this international break drudgery as well. Absolutely. Uh, international break drudgery, if you're not San Marino, of course. Yeah, of course. But... <laughs> San Marinian, maybe, I think. Um, I'm it's... guessing... We, we, we'll, we, you know, we'll we'll give we'll give them whatever name uh, we we want. Uh, I, I maybe you never know. Maybe we've got a San Marino listener somewhere who's going to going to correct us. I I look forward to that tweet. But um. So what today is obviously we haven't had we haven't had a game since uh, we uh, we um some might say unfortunately lost to Birmingham City depending on on your perspective on that particular game um but what Joe and I uh, have sat down to do today is just take a little bit of stock of uh, of where we are at this moment in time obviously 11 games into the season um in the midst of an international break playing Plymouth upcoming at uh, at the weekend and Joe how do you I mean, if to ask a very, very broad question to kick off, how do you assess the season so far? If you said to me, if you asked me if I was a glass half full or a glass half empty person in general, I would say I'm a glass half full person. So I'm actually pretty enthused by the season so far. And there remains regrets in certain games that we haven't taken more than a point or you know, in certain instances we haven't taken any points at all. At the same time... I, I look back to 12 months ago and compare our situation then when 
I think we were in between at the at the time. I think Richard Bill was a was in charge at this point, and you know we were we were in a really really desperate situation. There's no guarantees that we we've seen plenty of big big teams leave the championship at the wrong end of the table. Um, and at that point, there was a genuine, I think, concern that if the appointment and the the successors to Steve Bruce wasn't right, then there would be some really big issues. Not well, we're in the bottom more. three. I mean, how much more concern? Well, exactly. Do you need? Well, and, and bottom of the league after after Carlos had, had his eyes opened on the first game. So I know the, the the picture's changed dramatically, and it's a different season with a different set of expectations. But even so, I, I think I think Albion fans generally can be pretty pleased with where we are. I think expectations, aside from what we need to happen because of off the field, the, the off the field situation, the actual expectations of what we might expect from this group of players, from this manager. Um, after a very, very, very quiet summer transfer window, they're all tempered, of course. So I think in that respect, Albion are about where you'd expect them to be. They're well within touching distance. I mean, if they beat Blues on Friday night, last last Friday night, then We'd they... would be fifth. Well, exactly, you'd be in the playoffs. So going into the, the October international break and the table is very, very slowly taking shape, if, if indeed it ever does in the Championship, it moves that quickly. But... You know, you take another block of games into November and then you wait for the hell that comes after that into Christmas and everything else and the start of the FA Cup and it's non-stop. But I think these blocks are, are quite useful, really, in breaking up the season and being able to assess as we as we are going to do tonight. It's interesting you, you talk about the expectations on this, on this group of players, Joe, because I, I think for me... I, I I feel like the expectations for this for this group of players from some elements of our support base uh, are a little bit overblown. Um, I, I understand why, you know, I mean, you've got you've got younger fans who've who've never experienced a prolonged period in this in this division. You know, in some respects, we're, our expectations make us a victim of our own success. Uh, and then. I know people will say, well, look at the names on the team sheet. My argument back to that always is this squad is a mishmash of the wants and desires of very different managers. I mean, you go, I think, I think probably the earliest you go back to is, is Matt Phillips, who I believe was a Tony Pulis signing. And then you go beyond that. And um, I don't think there's, uh, there's anyone that Alan Pardew brought in there, um, but the, the, there's players from um, I don't I'm not sure we've got anyone from Darren Moore's reign, but then you've got you've got yeah, we have, yeah. oh yes sir, we've got we've got Carl Bar- got Carl Bartley Connor of Townsend, those those guys those guys arrived yeah. the same the same summer um, so yeah I mean even though that whole summer felt like just one big loan transfer window um, you're you're absolutely right in what you say I mean you go through to what Slavin Bilic did and you know players like Grady Diangana and. It's about Daniel five Fairlong different Shinrin managers' Jay. signings, isn't it? I Easily. mean, that's that's what we've got meshed together in there. Easily. And, and I would say as well at that point that of all of those managers, you'd back Carlos more than any of them to get the most out of the mishmash, if you, if you like. And I think it's quite ironic now that we're kind of going into the next few games at least with a pipper aside, practically the same squad he had last season, minus a few players, Mark Albright and Tom Rogic, Daro Shea, Jake Livermore. It's basically that because of injuries taking their toll on our players that we've only just recruited in the summer. He's asking, he's having to ask the same group of players to go again. Um, so <clears throat> I would back him more than any of his predecessors to, you know, who Sam Allardyce, for example, was able to cast aside one or two and say, 
you're not going to be doing it for me. I'm going to bring in my own guys. Um, but equally, Carlos, has, as as you've seen, perfectly examples of Cedric Kipper and Alex Mowit. Players can come back in and he's been able to give second chances. And I know a lot of that is to do with the fact that he had such a little wriggle room in the summer and had to work within the resources that he was given. But even so, they've not just made up the numbers. They, they All of a sudden, you're going into the October, you know, the second half of October, and they are guaranteed starters at the minute. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think to some extent, again, I, I'll use the phrase "victim of uh, of her own success," but this time in reference to Carlos, I think it, what you know what we've seen in the past is that, I mean, w- w- take the relegation season under 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 Tony Pulis, that it goes to show that even that that squad was good enough to stay in the Premier League. There's not a doubt in my mind, man for man, that squad was good enough to stay in the Premier League. But you put the wrong man in charge, a, a manager that doesn't suit those players, a manager that doesn't know what to do with them in Alan Pardew, and it doesn't work. And then Darren Moore gets a tune out of them towards the end of the season. Similarly, Steve Bruce in charge of exactly the same group of players that Carlos Corbran took on uh, 11 wins out of 10 or, or whatever it was. Um Steve Bruce can't get a tune out of them. And I think it just because Carlos has got a tune out of these players, I think people forget that the manager really does dictate a lot of the time what you actually get from, from a group of footballers. And I, I think his his role in all of this gets underestimated. I th- there was there was some crazy talk at one point this season about whether or not he was the right man for the job. I mean, I, I think anybody who goes down that route is absolutely ludicrous. I personally think with a mishmash squad of five or six different managers, players, with a squad that really hasn't been built to any sort of a DNA, any sort of a, 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 an overall style of play. You know, when, when Dan Ashworth was was manager, there was a five, ten-year plan about... Uh, sorry, when Dan Ashworth was sporting director, there was a five, ten-year plan as to what we were trying to do. He knew who, who the next manager would be if the current incumbent ever left. There's been none of that level of planning. And for Carlos to come in and take square pegs, put them in round holes, and but somehow make those fit... I think is I think he's underestimated by people just because there are good names in that squad, such as Jed Wallace, John Swift. John Swift was nothing under uh, under Steve Bruce. He was he he was he was a passenger. Jed Wallace, whilst whatever people think of his performances this season, has turned in a couple of really decent performances at number nine. I mean, where 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 have they come from? Matt Phillips has suddenly turned into a flying wing back under Carlos Corbran. You know, the, the the job he is doing to get the most out of these players, Alex Mowat, who Steve Bruce couldn't get out the door fast enough, now, for me, looks like one of the best central midfielders in the division. As I say, the job he's doing to get the most out of these players is staggering. And I just, I don't think anybody should underestimate it. No, I, I, I wouldn't, certainly. I think as well, you take everything into account, the amount of blows that he's had to roll with, really, the... Transfer window when, quite frankly, the last six months, seven months of last season, he deserved to have money to spend on the back of that to build on what he'd already uh, worked on. And and he had to go without. And then into this season, as was the case in the second half of last season, when they were chasing the playoffs and they were denied that. For a, a significant portion of that explanation as to why is because of the, the injury problems, which are again haunting the squad again. So when we go into the doubleheader against Plymouth and QPR, we're asking effectively three senior attacking players 
to go and play 90 minutes because there are just no options. But then that's where your kind of your 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 point there about coaching and, and versatility and being able to be flexible and adaptable. That's his buzzword, really, in, in, in these situations. He's not one for excuses. He'll always talk about how they have to adapt to the situation. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. Matt Phillips playing left wing back. You could always push him further forward, bring Connor Townsend. There's always an option for him, but he's created that yeah. that, that that situation. Let me give you a, a stat on that, Joe. I don't know whether I don't know whether you're aware of this, but we've we've actually used the second least players of any championship club. Only Bristol City have used less than us this season. I think we've that used doesn't... 21. I think I think the the number is as a, as I turn to my notes. I believe that's true. I, I, that doesn't really surprise me either, because if you look at the players that haven't been available to him, Daryl DK, Martin Kelly, Adam Reach, then you go in and, and throw in the likes of Samiento and Swift and Madger, um, you'll you'll always worry. You'll always have to Even manage. Even Reyes Cleary as well, Joe. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, would, it would have been. An, I know he's only a kid, but it would have been another centre forward option. And that's that's something I'm keen to ask him about this week. Actually, when we sit down and talk to him before the the Plymouth game is. You know, Ruben Chapoke, who they brought in in the summer, has been injured with a hamstring injury. So there's not even like a real number nine with Jova Malcolm out on loan, Mo Falls out on loan. So, you know, where do you go when you get down there? You're going to have to look at a player like a a Harry Whitwell, for example, or a Kevin Bufwamba, players who have been on the, on the fringes of the, of the first team, certainly went and trained with the first team in pre-season. You're going to have to go and ask a few of those guys to come and step up into the, into the first team squad. And then all of a sudden Tom Fellows looks like a seasoned pro. It really does, Joe. Whilst we're whilst we're talking about the injuries, I've I've got to ask because it's been it was a raft of injuries at the at the back end of last season that completely curtailed our, our season. Um, then it's been another litany of injuries at the start of this season. Now some of them you just can't account for. Take Josh Majors at, at Bristol City. It's obviously an impact injury. It's a challenge. The 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 player doesn't as we then see on the replays doesn't take the ball takes the ankle and and you know that's fully explained but a lot of these injuries are seeming also to crop up on the on the training ground as well is this just bad luck or is the are they being do you think they're being worked too hard is is there something a little bit you know is is there a deeper meaning to this because i i think i think at this point when we've got when we've had this many injuries I think we've got to ask the question, haven't we? Yeah, I think there are so many moving parts to this. Uh, you go back through to the last season when it started happening, all the way through to January, actually, and Matt Phillips pulled up against Chesterfield. And that in that moment, even though most people couldn't really see it at the time, really changed the outlook of Albion's season because mm-hmm. Phillips was such an enormous player. To, 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 to discover that they were going to be without him for the second half of the season because of an injury he suffered in a 4-0 win in an FA Cup replay against non-league opposition... Carlos was quite clearly kicking himself that night that he brought him on. Then a month later, or even a few weeks later, Grady Dean Garner goes down, season-ending injury. Before the end of the season, it started becoming farcical. I mean, Daro Shea, I think was in was it on Ireland duty? I might be wrong. I'm trying yeah, to remember. Was, but that was that was in. Wasn't that in a challenge with Cristiano Ronaldo? Possibly. There, there were a couple. There was the there was the really serious one he suffered under Ishmael. But then there was another one that he uh, suffered. I think it was on international duty with Ireland. I might be wrong. No, um, you're, you're, you're 100% right there because I, I actually checked that the other day. So, so you can't do anything about that. No. Daryl DK, you think he's out of the woods with his injury record. And then he goes and ruptures his Achilles in April, like, you know, with nobody around him. Um, 
Um, there was a Cole Bartley was out for for the second half of the season, basically. Reach um, was training ground, wasn't it? Adam Reach was in the training ground. Martin Kelly came back from his loan spell injured for the season, um, and there were there was just you were having to then ask Colin Grant to play regularly when he hadn't played at all, and Mark Albrighton wasn't really going to hit those heights, and Tom Rogic missed the last three or four games of the season, and Malumbi and Yukoslu seemed to play the latter part of the season. Well, they, injuries they, they, as well, they had to, didn't they? They had to, and and. And Shalabar got injured in April when turning in probably his best performance of, of, of last season up at Blackpool. So they were absolutely desperate that it was, it was, it, it was enormous. There are so many things you can look at, I think, in, in when it comes to an injury of a player. One you've already absolutely correctly picked up on, on the fact that there will be impact injuries. That's the nature of the sport. There are things that are just out of the player's control, the manager's control, the medical staff's control. And all you can do is pick them up again physically and mentally and, and say, you know, we'll get you back on the road to recovery. But then you've got coaching. I don't know what goes on on day-to-day on a coaching, wh- whether they are asked too much or whether it's just the way Carlos wants to train, wants to what he wants to get out of them. He's very, very scientific-minded. So I'd be, I'd be very, very wary of thinking that he's just cracking the whip too hard. You know what I mean? He, he, he's somebody who's very, very careful about these things normally and he's got a medical background himself so he'll know exactly when it's becoming you too don't strange. think they're being ran up a hill in austria and driven back down in the back of a transit uh, van and, then and, is what you're and, saying and vomiting <laughs> at the top yeah not quite um then you've got the the question about the robustness of the players you know the players that we've recruited over the last five six seven years are they was were, were their mm. checks done on those players on the recruitment side of things when they were brought together is it just purely bad luck? Are they, yeah, we're playing 100, 110 minute games now. And Albion in, you know, Swift, to be, to his credit, has barely missed a match in the last, well, 15 months since he joined the club. Maybe he's played 100 odd minutes against Preston, 100 odd minutes against Sheffield Wednesday, and then 75 minutes into the Blues game, he just breaks down. Well, you you say you say about Carlos kicking himself after the, uh, after the Matt Phillips um, injury against Chesterfield. I mean, you were obviously the one who spoke to him, but reading the quotes, Joe, that you put out, it felt like w- w- the comment he made about if if I had known that John was going to get an injury, I would have brought him off, not Wallace. It felt it felt almost like he was kicking himself again there. Yeah, and he's he's somebody who's spoken enough about Tony Strudwick in the past. In his role, and obviously Tony Strudwick is. We had a really great chat with Tony in, in preseason um, after the Salford friendly. Really interesting, you know, really insightful. You can tell he's somebody who's got a lot of experience. He's worked at some big, big football clubs. He knows what he's doing. Steve, Steve Bruce brought him in um, last summer, and he, Carlos has worked with him. Uh, and it's interesting that he's decided to bring in another person as well in, in Rafael Aranda, who. He worked with at the university when he was a student at the University of Valencia and Rafa Aranda, who's got a big footballing background in Spain and and in China, was his lecturer. So he's somebody who he really values highly and he's come over in a consultancy role. So you've got plenty of very, very, you know, intelligent individuals in, in that era, not not least of all Carlos himself. Yeah. Is it just bad luck? I mean, you know, Jeremy Sarmiento gets injured the way he does and we know that he's arrived at the football club with a minimal amount of football in 2023. I, I don't think he played 90 minutes in 2023 before he came to us. So 
Well, I suppose you can look at a few of them, can't you? You can say Sarmiento's come back from an injury. DK gets his second injury coming back from an injury. Reach gets injured against Burton having come back from uh, from an injury. Dean Garner, for all his qualities, has had a history of injuries all the way through his Albion career. As Matt Phillips has had injury problems for the last uh, for the last five years, so, uh, Carl Bartley has has not been shy of an injury uh, or two as well. And actually, when you when you start to look at it, it Joe, it, there's there's an argument to say two things. One, um, have we got some injury prone players? Is it just as simple as that? But two, because of the small size of the squad, when players are coming back from injury, are we not able to? reintegrate them as gradually as we probably would like. Well, it goes back to your point then about the number of players that Carlos has used this season. Underlying that is the fact that that's what Carlos has available to him. So he's asking players with bumps and bruises and knocks who would quite like that Tuesday off to prepare themselves for the following Saturday to go again because there's very, very few options to him where he knows he can rely on players go and give 70, 80, 90 minutes on a Tuesday night in a game where Albion have to win because Albion have to win every game. And that that will then inevitably will pose further risks. And I think that's it is the nature of the beast to a point. And there won't be you know, there'll be other at Blues, for example, the other night, they have six players missing. Um they they had plenty of players missing again against Albion. Um they're both their first choice fullbacks were out. Um one of their midfielders, one of the you know, one of their forwards. So, the, and looking at last players, season, a lot of lot of clubs lost players after the World Cup as well because you know players just weren't used to used to that season, were they? No, a very very odd season last season. Almost almost as odd as the COVID season, but not quite as odd as that. But they, but uh, it, yeah, it it could just be a combination of everything, but. It's it's not helping Carlos's cause either way um, because as I say at, at the top of the podcast, I've been pretty heartened by what I've seen so far this season. It'd be a desperate shame if in the next few weeks the results were to be, you know, hampered by the fact that they just haven't got the personnel available to them. We'll come to those positives in just a second. Just last one on the on, on the injuries, Joe. What is the um because you, you were obviously around the training ground much more than well, I'm never around the training ground these days, so <laughs> it wouldn't be hard to be around it more than I am. But um what what as you understand it are the the latest on um the two f- fairly long term ones to centre forward. So we are we still thinking um after the after the next international break for Mazur and maybe sort of December time for DK, is that realistic? I think it will be 2024 by the time we see DK. If 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 Carlos is correct in what he last said to us, we asked him. I asked him not too long ago actually about DK, and it was as much to do with how his personality is as much as, much as his you know his rehab. Because every there'll be a lot of players in the over the course of their careers who suffer serious injuries and have to take that that really you know difficult road. But what is he like as a lad? He's 22, 23 years old. He's in a foreign country. As, as to my knowledge, he lives by himself. That is that is a bloody hard situation. Well, he he must be around. given what he's been putting in his dishwasher, Joe. I mean, well, if he didn't, surely account, somebody yeah. would have said. <laughs> <laughs> take that into account. Um, you know, it's a very very different sphere. But he's always popping up on TikTok and things like that, and um, he always seems like he, he would be the life and soul of any party. So maybe he's good at dealing with it. I mean, it, it's ironic, isn't it? But he. he He's maybe had too many injuries now where he's almost kind of numb to it and it's just like, it's okay, it's another rehab situation where I've got to just 
respond and, and get myself back to it. But yeah, what you've what you've talked about there about being careful with them, handling them properly when they come back. But Albion thought they had with Daryl the last time. That's the thing that he he come back through. He played through Christmas. He alternated with Thomas Asante, and then just like that, it, it, a random day in April, and and that was him done for the nine ten months again. And it's just. It just you'd be left tearing your hair out, wouldn't you, if you were Carlos? Um, let's let's turn to the positives. Uh, move away from the the injuries a little bit, and um, I mean the positives have come after what I would suggest was a fairly iffy start to the season. In fact, it's not it's not even just me that's uh, that's suggesting it. Darnell Furlong did uh, an interview with you guys after the Preston game and basically said that in the in the first few weeks of the season, he felt that Albion had got points without playing particularly well. And I think the data backs that up. We did not, I think we lost the XG battle in every single one of our opening four games. So according to the expected goals, we, we should have lost all four, all, all four games. The two we won against Swansea and Middlesbrough. We, we according to the XG, we should we should have lost. We we just were fairly clinical with uh, with our chances. Things have taken a real upturn since then, and in in my opinion, even if results haven't got massively better in terms of a points return, Joe, I I have this theory, uh, and I'd like your thoughts on it. That um, that the slow start to the season has much to do with Albion's financial position as anything else. In that, Carlos, as you say, is a highly meticulous man, and I I I would imagine he wanted to have a very clear plan for this squad and I feel like looking at it now he does have a very clear plan he knows he he knows if Thomas Asante has to come out Wallace goes into the forward position he rotates um Swift Sarmiento Dean Garner and, and Wallace in the positions behind him he's got Moat, um, Malumbi and Yukoslu striving for uh, for two positions in midfield. He knows who his, who his wing-back options are. He knows who his first-choice cent- centre-halves are in most games and brings Bartley in when that extra aerial presence is needed. I don't feel at the start of the season he did he knew that, largely because everyone was for sale. And I imagine it was extremely hard for Carlos to plan for the upcoming season, not knowing who was going to get sold and and knowing who he was going to end the month of August with. And for me, that probably fed quite heavily into into such a slow start and, and probably was a difficult mental challenge for the players as well because they didn't know whether they were they were coming or going that is that, I'm not here to be an apologist for for Carlos Corbran at all but, uh, because um I but I do think he's doing a great job but I I I I'm looking for an explanation for why we we had such a poor start to the season in terms of performances when everything since then in the last sort of seven games has actually been pretty good and why until the injuries we were so good under Carlos that just seems the only really disappointing area for me is those first four five games of the season and that's that's certainly how I explain them away what do you think I think it's a fair point you make uh, every player won't ever be able to deny that that'll be something that's on the for- at the forefront of their mind in the month of August it, regardless of your situation at your football club will I still be here come the end of the month it, it's it's a ner- it'd be a nervy time for everybody, especially if you're on the fringes. And in Albion's situation, you could be the star player and still be, you know, heading for heading for out the door. We spoke to John Swift uh, a little while ago, and he was explaining that interest had arrived in him, and he was informed by his agent that interest had arrived in him very late in the day. But he'd already made his mind up after the last day defeat to Swansea that he wanted to be here this season. 
which, okay, you can take that two ways. I mean, I think wherever he might have had interest from was likely not going to be as good a deal as Albion. It was not going to be likely as big a club as Albion in this division. So in that respect, you could totally understand why you want to stay. But it's not it's not a text message you probably want from your agent two or three days before the transfer window closes. Um, and, and Swift at that point was really starting to hit his straps as well on, on the pitch. I, I think you're. I think you're right. It, Carlos was obviously on one hand trying to bring players into the club. Uh, that wasn't happening as quickly as he like. Well, not not that it wasn't happening as quickly, but the players weren't ready-made players. They had to be patient with Magic, patient with Samiento, Pippa. We're still having to be patient with really in, in terms of his game time. And all the while, Daroche was a big re- big um, release of pressure at the at the beginning of the summer. The fact that that happened so early was was quite significant and that ensured that they could then you know proceed and and, and look at those signings of, of, of Samiento etc whereas if that had happened kind of at the end of August Albion would have been in a bit of a pickle I thought and then you you know you you, you try and it's clear Carlos has got certain players that he, he would happily see the back of that he hadn't really got any particular plans for going forward Carl and Grant being one very very difficult to get Colin Grant off the books permanently because of the nature of the deal that they've done with Huddersfield and, and the money that is you know the, no doubt the wages he's on. Uh, Taylor Gardner Hickman was a was a contentious one, but I can I can understand why he did that. Um, His face just didn't seem to fit, did it? Did it, Joe? I mean, and that's not that's not saying I'm not trying to drum up some personal issue between him him and the manager here. I'm just saying sometimes a manager looks at a player and just and just says. I, I genuinely don't see where you fit into my plans. Yeah, I think he's played four or five different positions. And I know that the same can be said for somebody else, like a Matt Phillips, for example, but the difference is Matt Phillips is a seasoned pro. He's got, must have five, six hundred senior appearances to his name. And it's very, very difficult when you're trying to get Taylor Gardner-Hickman up and running at the football club and in the championship when results are so immediate. Unless you absolutely take the division by storm, um, there are very few young players that are given that grace of, you know, a few months bed in and just say, well, we'll keep you in the team. And then, you know, irrespective of how you perform, because you'll benefit from this in the long run, because it's such a, a, a high end, you know, results necessary business. So I can understand why, I can understand why Gardner Hickman was, was allowed to leave. And you hope that he does become that player at Bristol City, even if it might, you know, <laughs> feel like a kick in the, in the stomach later on for a lot of Albion fans. Um, so going back to the general recruitment, you think, okay, who might he be willing to leave, let go versus who might be taken off of him? And I think a lot of the, you know, players like Alex Palmer, for example, was quite vocal in the end that saying that he wanted to stay at the club. Um, it must be does quite it, difficult to try and sell volume? players when they, when they want to stay. Does it speak volumes for Carlos? How, how many players in the end said that said that they wanted to stay, to stay? Swift obviously said it, as you say. Alex Palmer has gone on the record to say that um, that that he he did not want to go to go to Luton. I I mean, I, you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Joe, but I I would imagine that Brandon Thomas Asante was actually probably quite pleased to still be an, a West Bromwich Albion player when the when the window shut. It, it it probably speaks volumes for the manager, doesn't it? Because these players don't want to hang around if they don't have faith in the gaffer. Yeah, and it, you could see that on the pitch for large portions of last season. I do think it was a combination of injuries and also their performance is kind of almost flatlined because of how much that Christmas time period, November through to January, must have 
must have taken out of them, must have demanded from them because of their such a slow start. They basically had to kind of go on a title winning run for three months just to get parity in the, in the league table. And then eventually, I think they just ran out of puff, with, certainly with the, with the injuries taking their toll as well. So you could see the benefit of it and you could see in pre-season how hands-on he is. Um, certain managers are quite happy to let the coaches take roles and training and they'll kind of wander around. Certainly Sam Allardyce is one of those kind of people. And he has a lot of respect from a lot of players because he is a very, very good man manager, good at what he does. And he'll let a player like a you know a, a coach like a Sammy Lee, for example, certainly that was the case at Albion, take over, and then he'll kind of take a back seat. And you saw that as well in his managerial days when he used to sit up with an earpiece, and you know that, that that's what he like to take almost like a back seat. Um, Carlos isn't that. Carlos is kind of front and center. You'll see him barking on the on the training ground, barking on the touchline, getting instructions constantly to players. Sometimes you do fear if it's too much information. Can you can you hit players with too much information? But I think, generally speaking, game to game, you can see the patterns of play. You can see how they're working as an eleven, how cohesive they've become. Um, even if the result, results and performances as a collective aren't always there, that that feels like you, feel, you yeah. feel like you go into every game at the moment, like actually thinking Albion can, could go and win this game. We we said after the Preston game on this very pod, Joe, that that, that I, uh, Pete and I both agreed that there was a level of football intelligence that we genuinely we we genuinely said i don't think we have seen that level of football intelligence and adaptability possibly ever in an in an albion team i mean certainly in terms of football intelligence understanding instructions i'd go back as far as roy hodgson because roy uh, getting instructions across is the best i've ever seen but i mean the the, the players the way they transitioned between a I mean, it was basically a back two in possession to a back five out of possession. And it didn't, it wasn't players cantering around the pitch, busting a gut to get back into positions. It was just intelligent movement, knowing how to transition between in possession and out of possession. That doesn't happen unless every single player knows perfectly what they need to do. And I mean, you know, as you know, Joe, I work with players for, for, for many years. I, I, I understand where you're coming from with, with, you can give them too much information. I've definitely seen that. And, uh, and I, and uh, that can be a problem, but I tell you, I tell you what the one thing players want above everything else is clarity is absolute clarity as to what they're expected to be doing, because that was one of the big problems when Pepe Mel came in, due to the language barrier, the really the, the players struggled heavily for clarity as to what it is they were supposed to be doing, and there was a number of breakdowns in communication, and that that causes frustration in the dressing room. It causes anger, and I, I think the one thing, and I think uh, look uh, from the outside looking in, I would suggest that was part of the problem under Steve Bruce, but under Carlos, there seems just total clarity particularly in the, la- in the last few weeks as to what everybody's role is in that in that team and i it it's it's almost like an army thing the players crave that discipline and 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 i i i think carlos is is giving that to them i think it's it's like it's like a big old comfort blanket for players or it has been in my experience when they have that level of clarity away days are great there's nothing quite like playing at home especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I think that's how he that's how he defines confidence, actually. Confidence is quite a big word. It's a significant emotion in sport, elite sport, certainly. I think you could see at the moment, Brandon Thomas Asante, as, a, as an example, his confidence at the moment is lower than what it was at the start of the season, at times last season. But ultimately, when Carlos sends a player out, com- what, he, what he defines as confidence is going out there, knowing exactly what you need to do, where you need to be at any given moment, in possession, out of possession, if you're a left wing back, then how are you kind of where you are in terms of the pivot and, you know, in attacking sense. Um, if you're in the midfield too, which one stays, which one goes. All these things that I think out of that goes back to what you were saying earlier about the fact that players wanted wanted to stay at the club. But there's lots of different reasons why a player wanted to stay. Alex Palmer was very, very honest and said, I've waited 10 years to be number one. Now I am. I don't really want to go and be number two just because it's the Premier League. That 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 was exactly what he was that point he was making and I took that on board and a lot of players might not get the same kind of contracts or whatever else that they're currently on at Albion all that aside I think they have to bottom line is they have to enjoy playing for the manager without without a shadow of a doubt looking at the recent performances Joe um as I say I think performances have massively picked up in recent weeks. Just purely going off the data, as I say, for the first four games, we underscored, um, uh, we, we we basically lost the XG battle in every single game. Now, in the seven games since then, according to the XG, our results should have been five wins and probably two draws. We were 0.2 behind Watford. So you could make an argument for Watford should have won that game, but 0.2 is such a marginal difference between 0.6 and 0.8 XG that I would, I would suggest that a result is a draw is a fair result there. Obviously the reality of that situation is two wins, two defeats and, and three draws. But just from a data point of view, as long as it doesn't go on too long, because I, I you know, you talked about confidence there and when a, a run of, not getting what you deserve from games goes on too long. There is always going to be a mental impact on players. But I think uh, for the for the time being, whilst results haven't improved enormously from those uh, th- those first four games, which were obviously a defeat, a draw, and uh, and two wins, I I would suggest that the actual performances themselves are much much better that we are more dominant in games that that, that there is um that, that like i say we're generally winning the xg battle um that we are that we have a clearer shape that people uh, have clarity of their of their roles and obviously carlos is going to have had a couple of a couple of weeks to work with the players 
now as well. Um, and, you know, when we came back from the World Cup, we were absolutely flying last time. He's not lost a lot of players to international duty. He's lost a handful. I, I think I think we're in a really, really good place. As you said at the top, Joe, I feel like the only real negative is that we're, we're just a little bit down to the bare bones. But I think the, the, the gradual, the clear gradual improvement in Albion over the course of the season, and that's what I look for really over a season is, are we getting better? Are we growing into a season? Because people talk about at international tournaments, teams grow into a tournament. I think teams grow into a season as well. And, and I feel like we are. What do you make of the fixtures coming up now? Because on one hand, you could say, well, these are the big games. These are inviting games on paper to have two games at home, Plymouth and QPR back to back. Any West Bromwich Albion team in the championship from the last 10, 12, 15 years would back themselves to get six points in those games. But where Albion are at them and, and Albion would this season, even, even with the injuries. But with the injuries, there is the pressure on the players to then perform. And then you've got that regret if you don't win the game that, oh, well, you know, God, what if we'd have had Swift? What if we'd have had Magic? Would you rather be playing the best teams away from home at this point where the injuries are racked up and then actually start them playing the, the, the on paper anyway, the more winnable games that when you've got when you when you're basically back at full strength? And I know that hmm. it works both ways, and God knows Albion have had their fingers burnt with Huddersfield this season, and it doesn't it's never ever ever as clear cut as that. But even so, there's pressure then on Wallace Diangana, who's just been flying however many thousand miles this international break, on Thomas Asante, who hasn't scored since August. To go and see off two teams who are just going to come up, set up shot probably, and and try and try and catch Albion on the counter attack and, and challenge Albion to break them down. I don't know. I mean, uh, I agree with you on QPR. I'm not sure Plymouth will come with that game plan. I think, I think, I think Plymouth actually are quite a, a, a quite an attacking team from from what I've seen of them. I, you know, I, I think Plymouth is a really dangerous game, and I think people uh, people who look at Plymouth on paper as you know, small uh, small name in terms in terms of the grander scheme of the championship, in terms of promoted last season, uh, bookmakers' odds for uh, for going down. I think they're horribly underestimating Plymouth and what and oh, they're what they a good are. team. They're yeah. a good team, definitely. And uh, the one thing as well was pointed out to my colleague by my colleague the other day. They 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 don't keep clean sheets. No, so it's it's probably not even in their nature or, or in their best interest to try and frustrate and 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 blow block it. Best opportunity. Best, I think the best chance of any team that comes up into the championship from League One when you've probably had a very, very good season in League One with, you know, you look at the teams that have come up from there in recent years who have stuck, is is just having a go because championship's not that much different to League One. There are bigger teams, bigger stadiums, quality, the quality obviously increases, but it's not like a championship to Premier League jump. And it actually is in, you know, Plymouth put six past Norwich the other week. So it shows that they, they 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 know what they're doing. I was probably being a bit unfair, but I was just kind of generalising that double yeah. header. You look up on paper and go, Albion probably should be getting six points from them, and they will be expected to dominate both of those games. Yeah, and I think that that's part that's part of the problem is that it, is that there will be an expectation. There'll almost be an expectation that one nil's not good enough against these teams, as as has been kicked around when we beat Sheffield Wednesday, when we beat Huddersfield and Wigan at the back end of last season. That people do view. I, I don't understand why, because three points is three points is three points. And, it, you know, it, uh, I, I don't understand how a 1-0 win is ever not good enough. Um, I couldn't care less how many we win a game by as long as we win it. I, I think... Um, I, I'm, I'm at the. We're obviously recording. We're recording on Wednesday evening. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm at the, uh, running the risk of cutting the kiss of death on us here. But I look at the fixtures and I think um, that games like Plymouth, 
um, and Southampton are obviously coming up as well. Uh, teams that I think are, are going to be to some degree reasonably open against us actually suit us a lot better than games against teams like QPR, who I really don't think are going to are going to come and have a go. I think Carlos has shown. I mean, he, two of his most um, emphatic wins really as manager have come against Middlesbrough, a team that absolutely have no interest in sitting back and, and defending. I actually think Carlos is is suited um, to play against teams that come out and, and and play against us. And it's only the rare occasions when you come up against a Burnley team where you end up just being overcome by the sheer weight of the quality. And I think that's what, probably what will happen to us when we eventually play Leicester. Is that is that you know we will uh, they will have a go we will try and hit them on the break and we'll probably just get done in the end by the level of their quality but I'm not sure Southampton or or Plymouth can claim that that kind of level of quality and I think I think we can have some joy against those sort of teams the QPR game worries me a little bit um, because it's exactly the sort of game which I can see being really 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 difficult for us. Well, I mean, we didn't shake them off last season, did we? When we were two 0 up after about ten minutes, and we we somehow managed to throw throw two points away. So, yeah, I'm I'm loath to use cliches, but it, it really is a case of every every game in the championship being tricky. And if you don't judge every game on its merits as as a, as a club, as a team, as a manager, then you'll 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 find you well you'll you'll be you'll be in for a very very difficult season. And I think Calbian with Carlos at the helm and how meticulous and detailed he is, how much respect he pays to every opponent by way of how much analysis he goes into, the depth of it per, per game is something that means that I think Albina are in pretty good hands generally. And I don't think they'll underestimate anybody. That Huddersfield game, for as, as an example, they should have won the game 30 seconds before they lost it. So it's not been a case of where well, they just haven't turned up at all as a collective and been done 2-0. They've, they've, that game, they, they could have won the game having given away a sloppy goal in the first half, scoring a great goal in the second. I don't think we've done that since Rotherham, Joe. I don't think we've... I don't, uh, since Rotherham away, I don't think we've, we've, we've showed up and massively underestimated a game. I, I, thought, I, I thought mentally we were, nowhere, we were nowhere near the right place for that Rotherham game. But that's the last time that I can remember... And probably about the only time I can remember us under Corbran just being so. We, we we've obviously had poor performances, but where I could, I think that's the only time under Corbran I can genuinely sit here and say I've accused an Albion side of not n- not looking like they were they were ready for the fight, not looking like they were ready for the match. Yeah, I'd probably go along with that as well. That was a a pretty harrowing day, and I think. As good as they were at Preston the other week, and everybody was buzzing with it, and you could just see on social media, I listened to podcasts, and I could hear the enthusiasm from, from supporters that had seen that Preston game for 90 minutes and were so excited and, and, and so pleased with what they'd seen. I think exactly 180 degrees was that Rotherham game. It was mm. it was a game that you look back on in years to come and go, God, that was really bad, wasn't it? And it's one of those things, you know, you look at that game that, it was one of the very, very rare occasions last season where they had neither Yukuslu and Malumbi, and it it was it was just a yeah, it was just a bad day, bad bad day at the office. Jordan Hugel didn't help matters, and um, yeah, it, it, it was a sticky time at, the, at that point, really, for 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 a number of reasons. Albion were were really showing signs of not really kind of seeing through their playoff run, and um, injuries were really kicking in at that point as well. So yeah, thank goodness all that that's behind us. 
Just talk about John Swift for a minute, uh, Joe. I mean, now obviously, and I, I, I say this with with a with a tear forming in the corner of my eye because, of course, we, we're going to be we're going to have to be without him for a, for a, hopefully a short period of time. It does seem like a relative. I mean, we, we've obviously got a few games coming up, but we've got two international breaks, and then we would hope that John Swift will be back. There is no doubting that he is in my mind, about as big a loss as we could have had at this stage of the season because he's been exceptional. He's our top scorer. He's scored six goals. And I just want... Uh, what, but what I want to... Because uh, rather than us just kind of like... Um, uh, just regale about uh, about John Swift, which of course we could do for for hours on end, Joe. But I I just want to kind of get your thoughts on on where the change has been in, in John Swift because last season he was, he was exceptional. When you look at... Um, shot creating actions when you look at chance creation he was not only one of uh, one of the, uh, the the best in our squad he was one of the best in the championship i think he was the in the 92nd percentile for shot creating actions last season so since Cor- after corbran came in i should caveat it with cuz like i say he was a shadow of himself under bruce but he underscored his xg by two goals last season. So he was not taking chances when they came along, but the the numbers say he should have had eight goals. He had six. He's not only uh, is he overscoring his XG, and this this is how much he's overscoring his his XG. His XG this season is 1.9. So the, the XG says he should have had two goals. He's had six. His finishing is nothing short of phenomenal. To put that into perspective, in the entire league, he is overscoring his XG by the most of any player in the entire division by by four point one, and his non penalty XG he's got uh, he's overscoring it by the most of any player in the division by three over three point nine. He's scored in eight point one ninety minutes, which is what he's played for us. He scored the same number of goals as he scored in the whole of last season when he played thirty five point six ninety minutes. I mean the. Uh, the guy has turned in overnight or over the summer, I should say, from a very creative midfielder, which he is still is to a certain degree, although not actually hitting the level of assist that he was last season. But he has transformed from a guy that simply wasn't scoring enough goals. Most of his goals came from penalties last uh, last season and his finishing outside of penalties was poor, to be honest with you to everything he strikes is going into the back of the net. He seems to be getting more shots. He seems to be getting into more dangerous positions. Carlos Corbran has transformed him from a sort of deep-lying 10 to this 10 that really is a second striker. And I just wanted your thoughts, Joe, on where it's really come from. And also, you know, you, you speak to John, like... What what's he think? Because it must it must be some sort of a new role. Because I can't imagine for the life of me this happens by accident. No, uh, he, he's a, he's a nice fella. He he actually he's very he's a very very good talker for a footballer. Some footballers you can you know can be guilty of rolling out just cliches with everything they say. But he was very very honest. I mean, we spoke to him a little while ago, as I said earlier, and he was saying about how even though his goal return at that point, which has since improved. His actual performances weren't weren't in pleasing him. He was still somebody that he felt he had to do more in game, and he still feels that he could do more with the ball when he when he when he received it. I think there's a a little bit of a tweak in terms of the fact that he now plays kind of 
to the left, really. Uh, with every kind of player in that situation, he's got the opportunity to, to meander and you know play, operate generally behind the centre forward. But in a three-four-three, he's on the left, on a on his right foot, cutting inside. I think he's really got a positive relationship with Matt Phillips at wing back. I think he's come on even more with Alex Mowick just behind him. I was going to say, how much of a factor do you think Phillips is? Because I think one of the one of the criticisms I would have had on Swift last season is that he he can sometimes drift a little bit too wide and be out of the game at times. When Phillips is filling that space, he doesn't he doesn't do that. Yeah, last season in a four two three one, and Phillips or Dean Garner or Carlin Grant or Mark Albright would be playing on the left, and Swift would very often be on the left as well, and you kind of. You're wondering why on earth there were two striped shirts over in the, on the far side. Whereas now he's got that freedom to, to, to operate in that specific area of the pitch. And then the rest that comes with it, I suppose it is kind of confidence then. It's it's the fact that when the ball was rolled to him by Dean Garner at Blues the other night, he knew exactly what he was going to do because he scored a great goal on Tuesday night. He scored a great free kick at Watford. He scored a great goal against uh, Middlesbrough. He's got a great goal against Huddersfield. He's just, he, he must just feel like when he's, when he's 20, 25 yards out, yeah, I'll, I'll just put, put this in the corner. And that comes back to, that's confidence, but that comes back to the quality that he obviously has as well. The quality of his assist for Phillips at Preston was remarkable. And he's done that a few times since he's been at the club, even last season. So, you know, he, he, I would say he's Albion's most gifted player and it is a, a serious blow to the guts that he's not going to be, uh, playing well probably until the end of November just we, we touched on Matt Phillips there what a, not just I don't want to just talk about him this season because I agree with the point you made earlier Joe that, that, that his injury last season was not only season ending for him it was practically season ending for us in terms of our playoff ambitions it, it genuinely had that big an impact on what on what we did I think Matt Phillips has been something of a frustration. He's been something um, of a quandary for a lot of Albion players for, for many, many years. Yes, he's had a lot of injuries, but equally, I don't think we've seen the consistency in his performances. Since Carlos Corbran walked through the door, I honestly cannot, off the top of my head, think of a bad game Matt Phillips has had. He has been pivotal to everything we've done. He's played multiple positions. He's played the nine. He's played in midfield. He's played wide on the left, wide on the right. He's played right wing back, left wing back, and he's done them all well. He hasn't, you know, you you half wonder if you shoved him in at centre half under Corbran, he'd probably have a good game as well. And I just wonder where, where in your opinion, this Matt Phillips has come from because he's a, he is our longest serving player. In terms of being a senior pro, obviously you could make an argument Alex Palmer is, if uh, in in an, in another sense. But we we haven't we we haven't seen this Matt Phillips over the years anywhere near enough, and now we are seeing him week in week out, and it really is at this level it's a joy to behold. It, it, to be honest, when you watch him play like this at this level, you think. God, if you could be, if you could have been this good, you wouldn't. Then not in a million years would you be playing at this level if you'd been this good consistently for the last five, six, seven years. Uh, yeah, and injuries have, of course, taken their toll at different points. And it wasn't just last year under Corbran, but goodness knows that there have been plenty of other managers that have had to cope without him. You know, I remember Tony Pulis when he brought him to the club, and he was absolutely flying around Christmas time, and he, he broke down. At a, about six months into his first, into his first Albion season, I think he was. He's always had a real knack. I think I don't know if it's coincidence, but he's always had a real knack of coming out of the traps 
in a season. He was really good at the start of the season under Darren Moore. He played centre midfield one game against Leeds, I remember, and he, he took to that like a duck to water, scored goals in, in you know big games. And then in that Leeds game particularly, scored a scored a goal at Blues and then got an injury. And then he comes back again and Slavin Bilic absolutely adores him and can see exactly what he's going to do. And he plays with Pereira and he plays with Dean Garner. And he, he was just so, so crucial to how that, that team operated in the final third. And then he gets an injury. And he was called upon, I think, under Sam Allardyce because Sam Allardyce could see what every other manager has seen at Albion since he's been at the club is that he's a tremendous trainer. Um, you know, he's certainly not work shy. He's adaptable and flexible, so he can play in multiple positions. And you only regret when he leaves the club, whether it be next summer or, you know, a year or two years from now, whenever it may be, is that he hasn't racked up 350 appearances for us because I think that, that that's something that he deserves as well. When you consider, you know, he, he, he's just an all round good footballer, I think, with the ball at his feet. He might not have the rapid pace that, that he, he was. He had a really good turn of pace when he first arrived at the club. And he is now into his kind of mid, mid early to mid-30s. But all, all being all, all things considered, I, I, you'd have to say Matt Phillips has been very, very reliable footballer for Albion over the years. And yeah, OK, he's got a couple of relegations on his CV and a lot of that's been kind of out of his hands. But, you know, what's been asked of him in, in various roles by various managers, and it's all kind of happened around him, as we've been saying about, you know, this mishmash of a squad. It's totally, totally different squad to the one that he, that he joined. But I, I I think, yeah, the, that, that will be the only regret really is that when Matt Phillips does leave, it's not that he's sucked the club dry with wages or whatever else. It's that there haven't been more appearances of Matt Phillips. Yeah, I suppose this sort of the, when you look at long-serving players like Matt Phillips and you look at the data as well, Joe, it might again give us a little nod towards why we have so many injuries. I, I actually um, had a look at the average age um, uh, of uh, of the players played in the division, ba- weighted by appearances, and we 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 actually have the average oldest player uh, players average age of twenty-eight point seven. Um, so again, it probably feeds into a little bit why we pick up injuries if we if we're constantly going back to the well with older players. Yeah, and we've we've got a big big summer next summer, isn't it? For a multitude of reasons, but not least of all because of the personnel that that will probably be let go. What I thought um, there must be about a dozen players that are out of contract, and the one there might be a few that that stay on that get given new deals. But you'd think players like Phillips Bartley, when you when you're alluding to the senior players and and the players who are over the age of 30, it began really with, with Livermore last summer. A, a, a generally fresh break, I think, for, for this Albion squad and with, within reason, with, within what we're able to do with the ownership anyway. I mean, just uh, um, you mentioned Bartley there and uh, and the defence in recent weeks seems to have uh, seems to have really, really improved and, and tightened up. Now, uh, in, the, in the data charts, we're fifth um, in the division for errors leading to shots on goal. However, all but one of those errors came in the first five games of the season. The the one that didn't was Swift's mental sort of flick up back pass at Preston, which I don't I still to this moment don't know quite what he was trying to do, where he volleyed it back mm. towards his own goal. Um but it, it seems it seems like in the first five games we made we, we made an awful lot of errors and uh, and 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 now they've really been ironed out with fifth in the division for clean sheet percentage. And it seems like Corbran, where a lot of our success last season was built on um, 
uh, was built on solidity at the back. We've got back to that in recent weeks. He obviously came out and said a number of things after the Huddersfield game, largely that conceding two goals a game was just not sustainable, which we which we'd done, I think, in all but one game up to that point. I, I take it, Joe, that this the, there's nothing coincidental about this eradicating of errors, uh, about the clean sheet percentage uh, going up massively, that it's it's clearly a very conscious effort on the coach's part, isn't it? But it also show, says good things about the players that, you know, people like Kipre, who were very, very injury prone earlier on in the season, seem to have taken on board what's been said to them as well. Uh, it's not as easy as ironing them out, I, I, would, I would suggest, because it's so... There's just so little a manager can do when a player goes on the pitch. They can't, they can't control them like FIFA. It's, it's just, you know, if a player makes a mistake, if he gives the ball away in, in the on the edge of his own penalty area and it leads to a goal, then everything that they've worked on for the for the week prior goes out the window. I think Kipper's actually quite enjoyed playing on the right of the back three as well in the last few weeks and accommodating Bartley in the middle has has brought about some you know really positive displays. I didn't think play badly at all at Blues and he'll forever be tarnished by the, the refereeing decision but I thought he did okay generally there were one or two periods where I think it was Dembele or Stansfield had the run on him and he has he is quick he's not mm. you know Shemi Ajay used to be the only one that was able to move as a centre-half for Albion but Kipper can move um, Do you think he benefits from having a proper old school centre-back alongside him in Bartley? Yeah well I thought he had one with Peters to a to a degree. I know Peters isn't an, an yeah, centre half. Yeah, he's not a centre half though, is he? But and yeah, plus maybe, Peters is maybe. poor in the air as well, which is which 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 for despite Kipre's height, actually is not one of his strengths. Is aerially and and Bartley just takes that out the equation for him. So it works. It kind of works, and it's not it's not like you know you used to be absolutely terrified of a, of an Albion defence without a Jai in it because he was so crucial in terms of the agility and athleticism, which. Kipra kind of does to a to a degree compensates for now. So I think it, it just seems to have worked anyway. I don't think it was a I don't think it was a um a coincidence that they kept clean sheets against Preston, uh, albeit they blew Preston away across the pitch. They did what they had to do against Sheffield Wednesday and then they've conceded three goals at blues. One was a penalty that shouldn't have been given, one was a free kick which not many goalkeepers in the world would have kept out, and then the other one was that that was the one that you can penalise them for, really. But other than that, I think it's been a it's been a they've been a, a quite significant upturn, and it's as much to do with how you approach games as well, and and the confidence levels of each player that what what's breathed into them as as much as um you know not making those individual errors because that can just happen at any time. Last couple of questions, Joe, because you've been very generous with your with your time, and I know, I know it, it, um, you are Chef Chapman tonight in the uh, in the Chapman household. So uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want people going hungry. But um, uh, before we talk, I just want uh, before I ask you generally about your overview of the, of the championship as a division, I just want to get away from the on field stuff for just a second and just um, ask you about what you understand the position to be regarding our ownership situation. Uh, obviously, Mark Miles had a meeting with Action for Albion, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now. He he obviously said that he was largely bound by NDAs and couldn't really say too much, but did say that there were um, a, a number of pot- uh, people interested in investing. I know a lot of people really took that word, investing, and 
in my opinion, read more into it than than, than there should have been. I think a lot of people saw it as people don't want to buy the club that they just want to put a bit of money in and have a have a have a have a stake. Um, I, I just wondered where you think we are at this moment in time and how much light are you looking at at the end of this particularly horrible tunnel that we've been going through for the last six or seven years? Yeah, it is horrible, isn't it? I, I can only hope that we've broken the back of it because it's quite clear now to everybody that the owner himself, as is not the case at other football clubs, actually, who where where ownerships can be they can be like tyrants, and you know they they can um, they can kind of hold on almost just kind of against all the odds, just because just to almost spite the the fans at that point. It's quite clear with Lai that he wants out, that he wants the, rid of the club, that he wants to sever ties. Uh, that doesn't mean you just hand it over to the next person, the first person that comes to a call, because as we've seen with plenty of other football clubs, and you think Lai's bad, but there are people out there who can get hold of football clubs who, you know, you can you can you can blame Lai for a million things. Um, well, the very just... owner basically hung on to it until until the club was dead, didn't he? I mean, that's you know they they begged him to sell and he wouldn't. Yeah, it's. I know. I know he's taken loans out of the football club, but it's not like uh, there. There are. It's. It's difficult because I know for Albion fans, they'll be agonising over this because of how significant the situation is. But there are obviously worse case scenarios out there than Albion at this moment in time, at least for now, because we know what might happen if things don't happen sooner rather than later. We're not apologising for for lying in any way, shape or form. What we're saying is it's better to have a bad owner that wants to sell as opposed to a bad owner that that, that is just happy to sit there holding on to his investment and bleed the the club dry. Who goes to every home game in a box and, you know, just almost rubs it in fans' faces. Yeah, taunts them, yeah. So that's something that you, you, you kind of... Mark Miles is somebody who knows the football club very well. He's somebody who I don't think maybe expected to see himself in this situation. Certainly when he took over the club, when, when, he, when he arrived at the club 20 years ago, in, in, in the role that he was in at that point and how he's obviously gone through the ranks. And now he's basically being tasked with making something happen because it's in the interest of everybody, not least of all Albion as a club, because without this happening, I mean, the, the picture again changes so much. We're talking about the summer transfer window and how uncertain the transfer window can be for players and, and for Carlos. The January one doesn't promise to be any different, really, at this moment in time. So it, it, it's it's important, really, for this to happen. It might be stating the bleeding obvious, but it, it, in the next six weeks, two months, two and a half months, um, for both reasons of both, it would then stop Albion from having to part with players when they're hopefully in a good position in the league table. But then equally, if they are in a good position in the league table, then... And, and something happens off the field, then there might just be that injection that they need really to kind of just get them along uh, in their in their promotion hunt. So uh, you just hope that the, there is the light that, the, that has been at the end of the tunnel seemingly for for a few months now is is shining brighter than ever. Do you feel Mark Miles is Mark Miles? I think surprised a lot of people with taking such a strong stance on deadline day and not letting. I think people expected players to go out the door probably on the cheap. And Mark basically said if if offers didn't come in that were of the value that he he placed on players that they weren't going anywhere and uh, and he basically. The, the suggestion seemed to be that the offers that did come in were, were derisory and, and people and clubs were trying to treat us like a bargain basket. 
do you i mean first of all do you think that 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 stance has given us a, a real chance this season and secondly we we you we were a little bit surprised that um i mean i'll be honest i wasn't surprised because i've worked with mark um and i know what a strong personality he can be but were you a little bit surprised that somebody so new into the job took such a really really strong stance on deadline day well he's new to the job but he's not new to the club mm. so you know in that respect it would have been interesting to see what ron gawley might have done because ron and Ron and Carlos had a very, very positive relationship. So I think it was in Mark's best interest to maintain that between player and, and CEO or acting CEO, whatever you want to call it, MD. Um, it must be very, it must have been very, very difficult in that scenario when you've got the demands of the football club in, on one side of your brain and then you've got Carlos and Yuri on the other saying, please, I need, I need that player. Mm. And I know if you sell that player, I'm not going to have the time or the money to replace that player. So... I think at least for the first half of the season, he's given Albion and Carlos their best chance by saying no, and that that is a that is a bold move without doubt. It, it's brave because it could have easily said, well, you know, if Stoke had come forward and said, well, Brandon Thomas Asante will give you four million for him or whatever, then I mean, in Albion's in Albion's situation, not least of all with the fact that what they signed Thomas Asante for and the, the profit they were they were set to make on that, that would that would have been a very very brave thing to do. Imagine Thomas Asante had left the football club in the summer when, with, without with the situation as it is with Madger and DK and Swift and Samiento, you'd be going into the next few weeks of the season with, with uh, a, 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 an attack that's even more threadbare than it already is. Lastly, Joe, just as an overview of the championship, I was having a look before we came on air and... Um... FB ref, which I spend far too much of my life on, to be honest with you, um, has got has got the last five games um, form for each team. And I looked down, and it, and it was interesting to note that the only the only teams who don't have an L in their column for the last five games are Leicester and Ipswich, unsurprisingly, and then the other one is Swansea, who've had a crazy run, uh, one one draw and four wins. This. It's just going to be another championship, isn't it? It's just going to, it's going to be another very championshipy championship season. And anybody who can put a bit of form together, I think the top two is possibly going to be going to be very difficult because we all know the numbers that Leicester and Ipswich, the points totals they've got at this season. No team has ever got uh, failed to get promoted with that many points at this stage of the season, and and only one team has ever had more points at this stage of the season than even Ipswich have got, and no team's ever had more points than Leicester have got. So I think it, it's probably the top two is probably going to be a big big shot for anybody. But I think in terms of the the, the four playoff places. It, it looks like it's just going to be up for grabs for anybody who can string a fairly decent bit of form together, isn't it? There was plenty made in the summer about the fact that, and, and I would be one of them, that would say that the Championship looks an awful lot stronger than this season on paper than it did in the previous two years. And that then led to maybe a regret that Albion had, had used those previous two years with parachute payments so poorly in terms of recruitment of managers and, well, to a point, recruitment of players. And it left them with two seasons of the championship, but they hadn't even made the playoffs. Whereas this year, the quality of the teams that have come down in, and, the, and the stature of the football clubs that have come down from the Premier League, I don't remember three teams all being that strong. You know, certainly when you come, and I know Southampton have sold players and Leicester have sold players and, and Leeds have, have let a lot of players go as well. You'd expect still those three teams to be in the top four or five, but it, there's still much of a muchness really beyond that. I mean, Preston have started well, but I would 
they'd have to go some to really maintain that. And and same with Hull as well. Uh, Hull are dark horse for a lot of people, but for them to be in the top six after 46 games, it's not out of the realms of possibility at all because they've got some decent players and they've signed some decent players in the summer. You'll have Coventry, Middlesbrough, Sunderland uh, as, as a trio, I would expect to be up, up about it. Very, very intrigued to see what happens with Blues now. Rooney's there. And they consider anything to be other than top six to be a failure, maybe. Bearing in mind, you sat your manager in the top six. The, the guy coming in really has to get top six, you'd have thought. So the pressure will be on him. And I would expect Wayne Rooney to have a few, few quid to spend in January as well. So you always get a, a Luton or a Huddersfield or a Barnsley or, you know, one of these kind of, one of these kind of teams in, in the, in the championship playoff mix. And, you know, as we know that there've been some success stories in there as well. So, it is, you're right, it's another championship season to a point. It looks prettier on paper because there are some nicer looking teams and some nicer stadiums, but actually it's same old, same old. And, you know, who's to say Leeds aren't going to be mid-table come February, March time, just because they've had a bad run and, you know, just because you come down doesn't give you a right to be in the mix of season after. So the same with Norwich and Watford and teams like that, you know, they're probably quite similar to Albion, I thought. I think Albion is stronger of the of the three. Um, certainly in terms of who's in the dugout. But, you know, the the, the longer, as, as has been the case for a number of football clubs over the last 10 years or so in the Championship, the longer you stay in this division, the more difficult it's going to be to get out of it. So then you start getting the romantic kind of stories of, you know, what Carlos did at Huddersfield, for example, and, and what Luton did last season. And um, you wouldn't rule it out. I think anything anything in the top eight or nine would be a decent season for Albion. Um, not what is potentially what is required for off-the-field reasons, but... I think that, in the grand scheme of things, would be considered a, a really, really decent effort. But that's not to say that there won't be two or three points away. It might get you two or three places higher, and then you never know. You never know. Playoff. I'm not sure my heart will be able to take the playoffs. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I, if you told me we're going to finish top six right now, I'd say yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think we'd all I think we'd all we'd all take that. We'd all um, gamble with our heart rate over over that particular one and 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 see how it goes. And we've uh, we, we you know we've we've been both way. Well, I've been both ways in terms of a playoff campaign because I'm I'm old enough to remember 1993 clearly, mm-hmm. Joe. But uh, we've had a heart broken by it as uh, as well as as we all know. But uh, Joe, thank you so much for for giving up your time and and. and chatting the season so far with us um uh, today on the pod it's just been it's just been a real real pleasure to have you on again mate no no problem no problem thank you chris and please look you know as i always say please drop joe a, a follow um i have to say on x now because elon musk has changed what it's uh, what it's called make make sure you read his regular articles on uh, on on birmingham live you know just fant- you you've heard you've heard like nearly an hour of him here the fantastic journalism on the albion the guy knows the club inside now and uh, you know if you genuinely you're an albion fan if you're listening to this and if you're not if you're not reading joe's stuff you really really are missing out anyway that's all from us for today. We will be back after the Plymouth game when hopefully, hopefully we've got a good um, post-international break result to discuss. We'll be back then. Please do join us. But until then, thanks for listening and off the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. 
from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.